Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for my podcast, Great New American Essays. The series appears here on the New Books Network, which has as its motto, sharing knowledge so people can thrive. Today's focus is on N Plus One magazine and a specific three recent issues entitled Middlemen, Attachment, and Agitation. I'm fortunate enough to be joined by the magazine's co-editor, Dana Tortasi. Welcome to the show, Dana. Hi. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So uh, first of all, why don't you give people a little bit of a sense of who you are? You've devoted yourself, after all, to being an editor, to uh, you know writing essays yourself. So your commitment to fine literature, where does that come from and what does it look like for you? Well, oh, great question. Um, I think that being an editor, much like being a writer, is rooted in being a reader first um, and experiencing the pleasure of discovering a new voice or being transported to a new location or having an encountering a new idea through literature. And once you make it to the other side of how that's made, you learn how books come together, how writers do what they do, what editors do what they do. Um, it becomes kind of addictive to encounter that work in a raw state and help an author um, bring it to its final form and then share it with readers. Um, and so I've been an editor for more than 10 years at N plus one. And I joke with my colleagues and also my loved ones and friends that I have kind of like an editor's brain disease, which is that anytime anyone is talking about something interesting, I say, oh, that's fascinating. You should write about that. And it, it kind of ruins you for cocktail parties. You're not fun anymore, for especially for other writers who don't want to accrue new assignments. They have enough, enough deadlines. You can't really talk about anything interesting in front of me without me saying, you should really write about that, I'm kind of trying to chase you down for an essay. Um, so I think that's that's kind of where it comes from, it's sort of curiosity, or a generalist inclination to want to understand everything and reach parts of human experience and politics in the world that you can't experience firsthand yourself. No, no, I, I love that answer. In my case, for instance, uh, my family came back from spending two years in Italy, and I found the uh, suburb of St. Paul we were now living in, once again, rather boring by comparison to being on the Mediterranean. Yeah. And uh, that's when my my love of literature kicked in, because it could transport me to, to other places that I thought were far more interesting than my current setting. Um, yes, it gets you out of your own head too. If you're a, a tendency to you have a tendency to overthink or the voice in your head is very loud, it, it takes something else to really capture your attention. And it's a great relief when you get to be accompanied by a different person's voice for a while. No, I, I love that answer. I, I like that a lot. Uh, so tell me a bit about the magazine and plus one. What uh, you know, if you're thinking about it in terms of positioning it, how is it different or unique in the landscape of literary magazines? Yeah, sure. So I mean, literary magazines themselves as a genre are so fascinating because they are faster than books, but still slower than most periodicals. And especially when they publish nonfiction, that means that they're always pitched at a certain frequency, which is they're reflective enough to, you know, they're, they benefit from having a little bit more time to marinate. Um, but they're still not books. They still are more brief in there. They have less space to 
get across what they want to get across and they don't have to carry the same level of expertise. And much like a short story, um, you, you, they, they're sort of concentrated, essays are sort of concentrated in their ability to, you know, create a mood or convey information or make an argument. Um, so what makes N plus one unique is that it very much believes in the literary component of being a literary magazine, which is discovering new literary authors, um, really tending to the quality of prose, which is not just a fineness of observation and mind, but, um, you know, like an ear for rhythm and and an appreciation of precision of language. Um, So we bring that sensibility, a deeply literary sensibility, informed by the history of literature um, and marry it with a political cultural magazine that is very dedicated to commenting on and understanding and comprehending and analyzing the world that we live in. Um, The sort of informal tagline that we have is that N plus one tries to uh, write a history of the present in real time. and that's not super common. There are not a lot of magazines that that commit to that same level. There was, oh, I actually sort of loved this years ago, uh, Bhaskar Sankara, who's the publisher, um, founder of Jacobin Magazine, in an interview was talking about how he his goal for Jacobin Magazine, which is a left political magazine. Yep. Socialist, you know, um, yeah. Yeah, socialist, yeah. Um, said, you know, I don't want people to read magazine and think, like, oh, that's a really beautiful sentence. You read, it, you pick up N plus one and you think, oh, like, that's really well written. It's like, I want people to, like, go start revolution. And I was like, you know, that's sort of an, you know, in his world, it's a bit of an insult. But in our world, it's a great compliment. Like, there's no, there's no reason that your, your call for social change should not also be very beautiful. Um, and so I think that we sort of straddle those worlds and that's sort of N plus one's uniqueness. Okay. Well, I, I have to confess as I get older, uh, I like beauty more and more. Uh, the world seems too squalid sometimes and uh, whether it's morally or physically. So uh, I, I'll take I'll take beauty in a heartbeat. Um, speaking of what you just said, um, I'm kind of interested because the magazine has the essay section, but it also has a component called the intellectual situation. What uh, contrasts those two, if any? Um, so the intellectual situation is our name for the front of the book. It's the editorial that opens the magazine that historically has been written collectively and unsigned by the editors of the magazine. So it has a unique voice written in the sort of collective we, um, and it tries to, it usually takes on something that it has a quality of more of a can be sort of like a rant or a polemic or a, um, a take on something that is preoccupying uh, what people have come to call quote unquote the discourse. Um, and you know, it's been very interesting in the decade that I've been in the magazine seeing the intellectual situation really mutate as Twitter has come to really mediate the cultural conversation that, you know, editorials like the intellectual situation used to sort of be, they, they used to be fast. Now they're very slow, but sort of Twitter <laughs> cycles happen sure. so much faster. Um, so again, they try to sort of, um, but I, find but I think you got much more past year from, for reflection, fortunately. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's often sort of, um, 
it has a sort of like satir sometimes that isn't sort of satirical or comic or um you know never snide really but um it has a little more uh bite to it than most of the essays you'll see in the in the center of the magazine which um are more kind of classic essays by single authors Sure. And let's turn to those then, if we might. So, um, you know, other than three issues you sent me, um, I would say three of the seven essays were really pretty much looking at the, the uh, a woman's situation, uh, whether it's uh, on the dance floor, whether with uh, one's mother dying and having being a new mother, for instance. Uh, but I want to give you a moment because you've also written, including in the magazine, certainly on women's perspectives and women's issues. And your essay, Your Body, My Choice, isn't one of those three issues. But uh, you want to speak to that in terms of those three recent essays? I'm thinking, for instance, of Carissa's piece, Love and the Whiz Kid, uh, Judy Levine's Naked, uh, maybe even Leaving Ellsworth. Um, I don't know if there's a way to kind of soup a perspective together on at least some of those different pieces, but I'd be interested. Yeah, definitely. Um, so... When N plus when I joined N plus one in 2011 or so, um, the founding editors were all men, with the exception of Alison Lorenzen, and um, they, you know, we're in kind of a boys' club, notoriously. That was sort of the vibe of the magazine, and it's really transformed in the time that I've been there. But part of that transformation has been my stubborn doing, uh, insisting. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I mean, it, I help from many colleagues in the broader culture shifting as well. But, um, you know, it was always my priority to get more women writers in the magazine at all. But then specifically, um, sort of women writing in the sort of reflective vein. Um, so not just commenting on quote unquote women's issues, but having having free reign um, sort of creatively and intellectually. So Endless One doesn't publish a ton of what I would call straight memoir. What's interesting about those three examples that you gave is that they're kind of the closest to straight memoir that we get. Usually we have, we have, we publish a lot of a certain kind of hybrid essay that has an element of memoir, an element of reportage that you would see in a featured essay, and then a sort of element of sort of analysis or history. Usually there's multiple things going on in an N plus one essay. But what those three have in common is that, and I guess Judy, I would say that Judith Levine's essay, Naked, falls actually quite well into that. Um, she is describing her time as a young person at a summer camp in New England that was famously a nudist camp. And she's writing about how, you know, she, she brings in all of these interesting complications of, um, you know, consent and the history of the sort of summer camp movement as a sort of holistic health movement and kind of traces the history of American nudism. And there are these conflicting strains, one to make, you know, making it all about sex and the other saying like, no, it's, it's about health. It's not hygiene. It's not about sex. Um, and bringing us to the present. Um, and that I think is a kind of classic N plus one essay, the Nausicaa Renner and uh, Jessica Grace pieces are very interesting in that they, they're much more voice driven and and um, I would say I guess story driven in a way. They're they're really they follow a single line of a character um, going through an experience. And I and I would say love in the with Charlotte. I think it is voice, but it's also daring to take uh, take on the <laughs> the issue of male treatment of women 
uh, in very candid, personal terms. I, I want to just read for, for listeners of the podcast a couple of brief takes because they, they really struck me. Men take and I am expected to give. Very few times when I ask what I want and even if I am. That last part really got to me. Uh, the other one, uh, a little bit snarky, but then it moves very personal. The encounter I have with creepy men and shitty lovers are tragic for their normalcy. Um, I mean, that, that, that's a strong personal voice and it's vulnerable and it's also willing to confront. Definitely. And one thing I love about that essay is that it talks about the author's very personal relationship to the music of the, you know, Afrobeats musician Wizkid and how, and the sort of, it, it sort of extends into nightlife and hearing this music in the club and also the, the narratives that would sort of appear in his songs and then kind of coming to uh, confront reality where the way that sort of sexuality and relationships and um, equality between men and women seem to be captured in the sort of sexiness of his songs was just as there's a not at all. It was a fantasy yeah, and her sort yeah, of disappointment. You're, you're, in the you're, face seeking, of it. you're seeking affirmance and fulfillment, and instead it comes dangerously close to feeling exploited. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And I love the section in that essay where she talks about how she's tired of having these kind of confrontations, you know, that are that are borderline, um, you know, violent and exploitative. And then just getting really into club music in Berlin and this like very androgynous way of uh partying where you're just she's like I'm wearing baggy clothes and dancing to these like drone beats um it's just such an interesting and different embodiment of being in a public space dancing with people sort of with the eroticism evacuated from it as a point of contrast yeah it's a great it's a great piece yeah I don't, and really daring to take that that on because it's like yeah the music's cool and wonderful but no there's a there's a whole lot more going on yeah uh, definitely so speaking of voice, there was uh, another essay, the one Cowboy in Sweden, which I thought was very much carried by voice. I'm not sure on a content basis is as rich as the one about Afrobeats, but it's it's simply delightful to read. I mean, I just I like felt the same way. Couldn't wait to race my way through it. And there's one that I think has been more a little more full of details, and they keep adding and layering on. I'm speaking the one about human fallback by Laura Preston. So you yes. and I know what we're talking about, but the listener does not. So do you, you want to elucidate a little bit about those two essays and what makes them delightful? Yes. So the first essay, Cowboy in Sweden, is a Sander Plage, uh, Plage I think, play. Uh, is his last name. Um, it's, uh, and he's an editor of a magazine called the European Review of Books. That's pretty young, but very interesting. Um, he's describing going on a road trip as basically the roadie for his wife, who was a musician, and the experience of driving through these different countries um, as the sort of second banana. And it's it's a great little travelogue to begin with, but there he touches on some sort of surprisingly um, heavy or emotional moments. I think there's like an encounter with a Ukrainian. Um, it's sort of, and it's at the beginning of the war. And it, it's just... It's almost like um, it has this wonderful episodic quality without, you know, it's not one of those sort of letter from Siberia type pieces where you're trying to understand a culture from visiting. It's, yeah, it's to much me, it's more... like Huck and Finn lighting out for the new territory. 
Uh, yes. but, but then it does acquire weight. Yes. Yes, yes. And also there's something incredibly charming about um, it being this husband watching his wife perform and people who are really moved by her music coming to see her. It's not a it's not a perspective you see very often. You know, you have the archetype of the um, of the groupie sort of falling around the like rock guy. And it's just a new paradigm, I think. So I find it really charming as well. Um, and then Human Fallback by Laura Preston is an essay I'm very fond of. Uh, Laura, the writer, I think she also edits at a magazine, um, a public space literary magazine. And the essay is about a time after her time in graduate school, I think an English MFA or a master's degree in English. Um, she starts working as a human fallback for a real estate company's chat bot. So a human fallback, if you don't know what that is, is um, when you're talking to a robot, and people are more familiar with this now because of chat GPT, I think, um, there will be certain scenarios, there are sort of scripts that based on you know previous interactions or language models, if you say, how many bedrooms are in this apartment, the bot will know to say three. But if you ask a question that's more complicated, like, um, can I pay this with a credit card? My husband is in jail and I'm wondering if there's access through the rear stairs. Suddenly the bot, it's too specific for the bot or it requires some level of emotional response. The bot will sort of ping and say, human fallback. We basically need a human being behind this robot to sort of step in to maintain the facade of a sort of continuous in engaged customer service person but actually you're there the whoever's talking to this chatbot is alternatingly chatting between a robot and a human fallback so laura's job was to be a human imitating a robot imitating a human um in the middle of a very interesting moment in a housing crisis in america so she has this fascinating strange window into first of all what's going on in the housing market and the sort of desperation of people looking for somewhere to live, but also this emergent field of technology as it's starting to become woven into parts of life where people don't really know it is. Yeah. And, and, and her own desperation to find some 40 uh, housing she can afford. Exactly. What, she too. The, yeah. Yeah. Because one of the questions asked is you're supposed to qualify on the basis of having an income that's 40 times your monthly housing needs. Yes. I mean, and she's like, I do not have that. Nobody <laughs> qualifies. Nobody, yeah. nobody qualifies I mean, still dates and, and uh, then who knows? Um, but yes. Probably not even for the houses they have, but true, yeah, true. great point. Yeah, so I, I thought that was great. And, and her struggle not become, you know, inhuman like the bot um, yes. as she moves through this. Yeah. And there's one other element of this essay I love so much, which is that, you know, she, I don't know if she's a poet or if she's just somebody who, who reads poetry and, um, Sorry, I think something's dinging. I can turn that off. Um, but she starts to, there's all of this language around, um, you know, the way that these real estate properties are advertised and they all have these funny names, the crossing at Hillcrest, the landings at Meadowood, Fox Chase Hunt Club, Spectra Verge Radius. And she starts in the middle of her, the night just keep, like thinking in this bizarro language um, she said, sometimes I would jolt awake at night, my heart racing with no thought at all, but legacy lofts on Maine. Just these like nonsensical real estate sentences that start to infect her thinking. Yeah, no, I also love that because it made me think of a Fran Leibowitz piece that she wrote um, about the apartment or about apartment listings. 
Oh, I don't think I know it. Yeah, and and the the wonderful line is she says, and when the ad says, uh, and so much more, it really means nothing more to say about this horrible property. <laughs> yes, exactly. And yeah. that's the end. Yeah. And that's the end of the essay and uh, pretty much the end of our interview because I don't want to take more time than necessary. Uh, but I want to thank you so much for having been my guest today. Um, oh, and I wish pleasure. you well with, with everything, including your, your new your newborn. Thank you so much. I really, this was really fun. Yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed it. So so uh, thank you. Thank you very, very much. Love to have, love, always love to talk about M plus one. So I encourage everyone to check out the magazine. We come out three times a year and also publish more frequent content online, expanding on the interest of the magazine. And uh, the website is www.nplus1mag, all spelled out, dot com. And I, I noticed the magazine has a very large, uh, what I guess you now would say X as opposed to Twitter following. Um, so you, you've, you've done well getting out there. But yes, part of the goal here is to uh, make Indian uh, you know, subscribers aware of the magazine so they can also subscribe. Yes. Yes. So yes. Th thank you. Thank you so very, very much. Okay. All right, thank you. Yep. Have a great day. Likewise. Take okay. care. Yep. Bye. Bye-bye.